You are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from. Everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Well, good morning. My name is Michael Scott, and I'm the pastor here at Wood Chapel Blue Springs, and I just want to thank you for, for being here, whether you're in person or whether you're watching online or later in the week on our YouTube channel. Uh, I just want to thank you for participating in these conversations. We've been having some very difficult conversations. Uh, we've been talking about cliches that we say, often as Christians, things that we say that we think are helping, but often I feel like can cause damage or hurt or pain in somebody else's life. And so um, this is our final week, this is week four, and we've talked about things like um, everything happens for a reason. Now we say that trying to bring comfort to somebody, but often what that does is then people search for that reason or they think that God is punishing them or mad at them, and I don't believe that. I think that we can use the things that happen to us, the hurtful, the harmful things, we can use them for good, but to say that to somebody in the moment can be, can be damaging to somebody. Uh, week two, we talked about God helps those who help themselves. Now often, um, we don't need that caveat. Not often. Every time we don't need that caveat. God helps. God is in the business of helping and loving people. He is not only in the business of helping people who help themselves. Now, that statement is made uh, because people uh, that have a strong work ethic or they think they, they prioritize work and lifting yourself up by your bootstraps, phrases like that. People say that trying to say good, meaning good behind it, but often it's misconstrued because God helps everyone. Now, of course, we are to try to improve ourselves and do better in life, but God helps all. Last week, talk, uh, Kelsey talked. Uh, I got a week off. It was nice. And she talked about thoughts and prayers and how we shouldn't just say things like, I'm thinking of you, or say things like, I'm praying for you. We should actually do them. And then to follow it up, we shouldn't just pray for people. We should follow that up with action. We should actually reach out, help, and love, and invest in those around us. Uh, now, this week, we're going to be talking about another phrase that we often use. Now, um, Kelsey accused me last week of making a lot of 90s cliches and that she's, I don't know, she was, she, she was born in the 90s, so she doesn't get a single one of them. So I'm going to stick with that same theme. I'm going to go back to the 90s. And uh, when I was in, I don't know, junior high, high school, I was probably 14, 15. And I grew up in a different um, faith background. And so in that faith background, uh, I was uh, an ordained minister at like 15 years old, okay? And so that just gives you some background of, of, of my faith. And um, as part of this process, uh, I remember talking to somebody else and I was like, so um, how come you know, only some people are ordained? There was a lot of us, but not everybody was. And I remember having the conversation with somebody one time. There was a person who was divorced. And they said they can't be uh, in ministry or they can't be a minister because they are divorced. And the phrase came out, this is the first time I remember at least, the phrase uh, that, that came out of this um, was that we should hate the sin but love the sinner. Now, when you first hear that, when I first hear that at least, it has this word love in it. So it has this, there's this idea with that phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner, or as Allison says, um, hate the sin, no, no, hate the sinner, love the sin. <laughs> hey, listen, it's your story. You tell how you want, man. That's... <laughs> she actually typed that in our notes. We, we got together. So, uh, Sorry, Allison, I couldn't help myself. Uh, you weren't here last time when I was giving you a hard time, so I had to give you a hard time today. Uh, but when you hear that phrase, it has this word love in it, and it feels like it, maybe it could be a good thing. 
But I want to dig into that a little bit because I heard that phrase and I'm thinking, um, is that, well, I mean, I bought into it. Like I've said it. Uh, we're going to show a hands. How many have used that phrase? I've asked every week. Like hate the sin, love the sinner. I've used it. Uh, I think a lot of you at home, let us know, uh, type it in online. But I'm not sure it's, it's well, one, it's not biblical. You don't find that phrase in the Bible anywhere. Uh, and, and two, I think it can be damaging. It can be hurtful to people um, because it has this word hate in there as well. And it also identifies a person, not as a person, but as a what? As a sinner. So now we've categorized somebody. Now, I thought this was a little odd at the time because I'm, uh, I'm in this exclusive club. Now, the faith denomination I grew up in, women were not in ministry. So automatically, like half of the world's population couldn't be in this group, right? And then of that population, if you were divorced, you couldn't be in ministry, right? And so we also know like that 50 some odd percent. So, so out of the gate, only 25% of people were eligible to be a part of this group. And it was a very exclusive thing. And they used phrases like this, um, like hate the, hate the sin, uh, love the sinner. And I feel like it was very damaging and it was harmful. And so uh, I wanna dig into that a little bit today. I wanna talk about why do we use that? Why do we think that's biblical? And it's not biblical. We find this in, in old writings. We find this, I think Gandhi said something very similar to this in the 1920s. Uh, he made a statement like this, and so it's kind of been taken, honestly, out of context, and it's been applied to the Christian world, and it's just not something that I think is helpful to say to people. Now, here's why I believe we say it. I think we want to help. I, want, I think we want to do good. I think we want to bring comfort and hope and love to people, but I think when we say it, what we're actually doing is taking a, a person, and we're dehumanizing them. So, there's not a single person in this room who doesn't sin. There's only one person who ever lived that didn't sin. So all of us have sin in our life. Sin, the word, the Greek word in the Bible, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this over and over again. The word is harmatia. Sin, the word harmatia is an archery term. It means to miss the mark, right? We often think of sin of these big, horrible things like murder and rape. Sin is so much more than that. Sin is the stuff in our lives, the selfish things that we do that benefit us and not those around us. And it's just little decisions that we make over and over and over again. Now, I believe we're trying to do good, but I think our default um, is that we do things selfishly. Now, you know me, I I'm an engineer, have an engineer's brain, uh, I love psychology, and I just can't say this enough. I, I believe we were created. We're created with this, this thing uh, called fight, flight, or freeze. It's our limbic system. Um, it's just biology. We were created to take care of self first. And I'm going to keep preaching and talking about this because it plays into who we are and our humanity and why the human condition exists. Now, this thing that, that protects us, right? If there's a lion, tiger, or a bear and it's coming after us, our limbic system takes over. And what do we do? We fight, right? Any bear fighters in the room? Okay. We, we freeze and don't know what to do or we run. And so these are things that we do. It's, this is important. This protects us. This saves us from being harmed. The problem with this system is it can be manipulated or it can tell us that there are threats sometimes that aren't real threats. Have you ever experienced this? And it's all subconscious, right? We don't know that we're actually doing it. It's subconscious. You have consciousness where you, you're aware of the things that are happening. These are subconscious. These are things that make us tick. Our subconscious is the driver of who we are and the decisions that we make. My wife's an advertiser. She would tell you that advertisers try to prey on that subconscious and manipulate your thoughts so that you make decisions like that in that fight, flight, or freeze response. 
That's the part of the decision that makes brain, that makes brains. That's the part of the brain that makes decisions. I need to rewire right now. Uh, but we, we do these things and it can be manipulated. So say for instance, um, somebody told you, or you perceived at some point, that um, female redheaded women with freckles, large hands and tiny feet. Listen, I was thinking of this before I was gonna tell this one. I'm like, do we have redheads and do they have large hands and tiny feet and freckles? I was trying to pick somebody that we actually wasn't gonna be here. So if you're all those things, I am so sorry. But imagine that that was described to you and that person was described to you as somebody that's, that's harmful or could hurt you. And you heard that over and over again, and then you started saying it, and other people started saying it. Guess what happens? Unbeknownst to you, when you've heard those things, when you see a redheaded woman with freckles and large hands and tiny feet, guess what happens? You go limbic. Now, you don't even know it. You can be automatically scared. And you see where this can play out, right? Where when we categorize people, when we start to talk about people in unhealthy ways, when we say, uh, when use words to describe people um, like they're a sinner, Right? Even though it says to love the sinner, when we categorize them, we dehumanize them. Now, I'm not encouraging anybody to go sin. I want that caveat to be understood and heard clearly. I'm not encouraging you to go do bad things. What I'm saying is that when we use this phrase, I think it can be hurtful and damaging, and we can categorize people because the subconscious doesn't know the difference. Right? When we go limbic, we don't understand. We're not conscious of that. We're not conscious that our brain is telling itself. I know this gets a little complicated, but our brain is telling itself, danger, danger, danger. You need to do something. And it's because somebody has categorized redheaded, freckled women with large hands and tiny feet, has categorized them as bad. And we all know that redheads don't have souls, right? And so, uh, do we have any redheads in the room? I hope not. Okay. I had a friend, his name is Jesse. He used to always say that, so I can, love you, Jess. Um, anyway, so we, we, uh, we find ourselves in a situation. Now here, I wanna give you an example of how this works. Uh, Cause you're gonna experience it right now, you're not gonna know it. So if I were to look at you, and I, I've said this before, this data, if I were to look at you and say, um, how aware of you, of you are of those things, right? So when we judge people, when we look at redheads, right? Big hands, tiny feet. When we look at them and we're like, ooh, I'm scared of them. Like how many of you are actually aware of that, that you're doing that? Uh, science tells us that we're not aware of about 90% of our stuff, right? It's subconscious, we're not aware of it. The best of us are only aware of, look at it, I said us, like I'm one of those. Uh, the best of people uh, are only aware of about 15 to 20% of their stuff, right? So we have all this stuff, we have all this defaults, we, we sin, we are selfish, but we're not aware of it, right? It's all subconscious in the back of our brains. And because we're not aware of it, um, when I tell you that, I'm like, you, only, you can only see 10% of your stuff, right? Like you're so messed up, you can only see 10%. What do you think? What's your first thought? Come on. Yeah, yeah mine's higher than that. <laughs> I'm more self-aware than that. Do you do that? I'm walking around my leg. I walk, I try to walk almost every day and I'm listening to Brene Brown. Brene Brown says this in one of her podcasts last year. She's like, you know, we're all, the best of people are only aware of 15 to 20% of their stuff. And I stop and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm better than that. I'm more aware of my flaws than 15 or 20%. I know of at least half of them because my wife reminds me of them every day. It's, it's not true. It's a little bit true. I'm in trouble. Okay, um, don't look down. Um, do you do that? I mean, I did that. I said that to a friend a few weeks ago and the words came out of her mouth. She goes, oh no, I'm, we're, surely we're well more aware of that than, than 15 or 20%. That is your subconscious protecting itself. If you did that, and every person I've ever talked to, I'd love to do that little experiment. I do that and then they say that and I'm like, ah, there it is. 
That's your subconscious protecting it. That's the ego. That's the self protecting itself. Oh, we're not that bad. We're better than that. See, that's science. That's psychology. This is how we were born. Of course, the Bible describes that same condition in this book called Genesis, right? It's a poem written about the human condition and why we struggle and why we make selfish decisions. It's, a whole, it's another sermon. But I believe we were created in, a, in a, an amazing way to protect ourselves. But that same protection, that same thing that helps us to survive, is the thing that also encourages us or can cause us to be judgmental and categorizing of people. Now, I want to go back to I'm, in, I'm a, a, an ordained minister in this church. Now, they called it the priesthood, right? Priesthood, right? So when I say I grew up in the hood, like it was the priesthood, right? Like this is our symbol because this is peace, right? This is, the, this is the hood I grew up in, okay? So it's like neighborhood, right? Uh, neighborhood is a bunch of people uh, who live close together, and hood is just, uh, so neighbors are, right? Hello, neighbor. I wore my neighbor shirt today. So uh, neighbors are people you know around you, and hood, it just, that, that means that, like the collection of. So a priesthood is a collection of priests or deacons or elders or however you want to describe that. Uh, a neighborhood is the same thing. It's just a collection of people. So, so my argument is that when we call people and we say that we're going to hate their sin but love them, the sinner, we've categorized them and we've created our own little hood, Right? We, when we say that, have created a community. Now, how many of you have created a hood? And who's in your hood? Right? Who's in your community of people that you look at and say, ooh, you're bad, you're a sinner. Or you're bad, you're dangerous, you're going to hurt me. Again, it's our default, so I know all of you do it, whether you're admitting to it or not. Uh, we all do it. Now, in the history of the church, we went through a time period where women were the hood, right? They were the others. They, and there's, some, there's a Bible verse that Paul writes about that excludes women. Um, it's, it's, it's one verse, and it's taken out of context, and women. Then it was divorced people, right? Right now, what are we struggling with? What's our hood right now? LGBTQ+. We can't quite... We want, to, we want to categorize everybody. We want to put them in a category. We want to say we're better than they are. And we create all these different kinds of hoods. What's interesting is that Jesus did not create those kind of environments. Jesus did the exact opposite. Jesus didn't look at people and see their sin. Jesus didn't look at people and see their problems. He looked at them and saw a person, a soul, a spirit. He saw goodness. Imagine if there was a group of people and they called themselves that they were followers of a certain way of life. And that way of life was supposed to be inclusive and loving. And then imagine they had a book. Imagine they had a book with ancient documents in it, ancient documents that gave certain wisdom and certain insight. Um, but within that wisdom and insight, along came a bunch of rules. And within these rules, people would then use these rules instead of just looking at their life and say, I need to implement these, right? And we can't do that because we miss 90% of our stuff. Instead of doing that, it's a lot easier to look at somebody else and say, oh, you're not following the rules. Because guess what else your subconscious sees and your ego sees? It doesn't see your own things, but guess what it can see? It can see your neighbor's stuff. Anybody have a struggle with that, of not seeing somebody else's problems? If you don't have that problem, then I guess you're good. Get out. I don't know. I... But imagine a group of people who then use this and use this wisdom and use those rules to hurt other people. 
Now imagine that same group of people and the thing that they worship, the thing that they hold uh, in the utmost and the highest hope and love and joy and peace. Imagine that is personified or it's incarnated or it comes to be. And a person that we call Jesus, Jesus comes along and there's like 700 and some odd rules by the time he shows up. 700 and some odd rules because people wanted to create a rule for other people. That's what rules do, right? You ever created a rule for yourself? I don't, but I created them for my kids. I created them for my wife and she's never followed one. I'm gonna be in so much trouble tonight. <laughs> I can't help it. Okay, that's not my notes. All right, so, so we create all these rules. Jesus comes along and he's like, guys, listen, it's, it's not about the rules. Now, he didn't come to discount those rules. Those rules are important. They can keep us safe, and we should follow them. But it's like, more importantly than the rules are relationships. Life isn't only about rules. Life is about relationships. And so Jesus spent his time with people, and he encouraged them. He didn't just encourage them to look at other people and say, you're doing this wrong. You know, he didn't go after any. There's one group Jesus went after. If you look at his entire ministry, he, he reaches out to people, uh, to the bad people, the tax collectors, uh, the Samaritans, um, the, I mean, all the bad people, the, the woman at the well, the woman who committed adultery, all these people that were considered bad pe- sinners, right? And he, by the way, he doesn't ever classify them as sinners. Jesus invites us to love neighbor, to love everyone, but, but he never goes after them. The only group of people that Jesus goes after are the religious the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the ones who had the answers, the ones who knew all the rules and followed all the rules. That's the only group of people Jesus goes after. He doesn't categorize anybody else. And he uses these people who are flawed, who clearly are sinners, and he uses them as examples. Not only that, he makes them the hero of all his stories. If you listen to the stories of Jesus, he takes the average person, the average messed up person who just doesn't do the the best things, make the best decisions in life, and he uses them and their stereotypes in their culture, and he makes them the hero of his stories. And I want to read one this morning. Uh, If you follow along, I'm reading from Luke 18. This is out of the message version, uh, starting at verse 10. Um, So Jesus is telling this story. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. Okay, so imagine temple, church, same thing. Two people are going up to the temple or church to pray. Um, And one was a Pharisee and the other a tax man or a tax collector. Now you need to know tax collectors weren't considered good people. They were kind of like, they would skim off the top, they would steal, they would cheat. I mean, this is the nature of their job, right? Which is so much different than the IRS. And so I have to get that joke in every time I talk about tax collectors, it's too good. Okay, so. Um, these were not people that were adored and loved, okay? They were shunned, that nobody liked them. And so uh, these are Pharisee. Pharisee has his stuff together, supposedly, right? Tax collectors. So we're like polar opposites, right? Polar opposites, people in life. Um, the Pharisee posed and prayed like this. So the Pharisee goes up, he's praying, he's in his position, you know, or whatever, or probably has his hands out. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week, and I tithe on all of my income. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, forgive me, a sinner. Jesus said, this tax man, 
not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Over and over again, Jesus tells stories. And he makes the religious, the people who have it all together, the people who have all the answers, often they are the villains in his stories. And what people would consider to be the bad people, the villains, he makes them the hero. I mean, over and over and over again, Jesus does this. The point of that is Jesus is inviting us, saying we need to look inside. Our job is to not look at somebody else and call them a sinner. Except we don't use that terminology, right? That's a churchy word. We say other things. We have labels for everybody. We create hoods. We create neighborhoods. We create communities of people, and we lump them together. Now imagine a culture that has gotten away from these teachings that makes life all about rules. Imagine a culture that wanted to make a rule to make people better. Imagine a culture where there are so many hurt people that we begin to congregate in smaller groups and make the other group the enemy. And imagine we had a platform where we could sit behind a computer or behind a phone and we could accuse other people and call them out and get mad at them and make them the enemy and try to destroy them. Yes, see, I think the human condition that I'm talking about today, this human condition of calling people sinners or calling people out or pointing the finger at other people, yes, we have it today, but this goes back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's in our biology. It's within us at a self, what we think is some kind of perceived self-preservation to point the finger across the aisle and say, you've done something wrong, instead of looking at our own life and saying, I can be better. I can do something better. So instead of hating the sin and loving the sinner, we don't need all those other words. We just need the word love. Love the person. It's not our job to point out their flaws. It's not our job to point out their sin. Now, if you're in a small group of people, a close group of people, and you guys want to have open conversations about how flawed you are, right? And I honestly, I I joke about that, but that is healthy for a person. You should be able to ask people. Like, if you've ever been in a situation and and you're having a conversation, you see somebody else who's ugly, and you're like, oh, do I do that? If you're asking the question, the answer is probably yes. But it's not our job to point fingers at people we don't know that we've never had any interaction with and to say that we are going to call them a sinner. We simply are called to love. Now, this is not easy. Not only is it not easy, everything in our biology, everything in our makeup, the way we're created does not lend us to being like this. Our self encourages us to do the exact opposite. Because if you're flawed, then what does that make me? It gives me a perception that I'm better or that I have something figured out. Or if you give me a set of rules, right? If I just follow the rules, that supposedly that makes me better. Right? If I can follow the rules. How many of you are list makers? One person? I'll wait. There's a lot of you list makers in here, right? You list out the rules, right? Did this today, right? 
Uh, what, did, what did Jesus, what was the pointed out? Uh, I do everything right. Um, I pay my tithing. I, I don't remember what else he said. Right? I, do all, I do all these things. Those things don't make you better. They can make your life a little bit easier. Right? If you fast and you know, all these other things, like, that can make life easier. Uh, quick side note on fasting. Uh, it's interesting that fasting has been a thing for thousands and thousands of years. And now what does science tell us? Like fasting one day a week is really good for your system. I'm like, see, we had this figured out thousands of years ago. I don't need science to tell me the stuff that I already know. It is not easy. It's counterintuitive. But I think it's important that when we're looking out amongst people, especially right now as polarized as we are, and not only the labels we give other people, but the labels we give ourselves. What do we say? We call ourselves Democrats, or we call ourselves Republicans, or Independents, or progressive or conservative or liberal. You know, there's all these different titles that we give on other people and that we give to ourselves. What if we could start to remove those titles? Because what are you constantly told? I don't care where you go. I don't watch much TV and I don't watch the news, but I got a pretty good idea that there's one side saying that this side's bad, right? On any issue. And there's another side saying that this side's bad. When you hear that enough, you cannot help but to begin to think the same way and you don't even know it. So one, stop watching the news. I always say that. I'm going to say that until I'm blue in the face. Someone got mad at me when I said that one time. You can watch the news. Just don't buy it. Uh, maybe you shouldn't. Sorry, I'm vetting this out in my head and it's not working very well. Okay. Don't watch it. Like, go get your, I don't know where you get information from. It's, just, it's polarizing. It's just, their, their job is to scare you and the way they scare you is by telling you there's a common enemy. Right? We see this throughout the history of time. Anytime there's somebody creating a common enemy, I'm always leery of that person. And Jesus is saying that's all they did. This person's bad. The church did it. Divorcees, women, people of color, LGBT. Like, there's always some kind of common enemy. There's not. The common enemy that we all have, there is one. And it's not the devil. The common enemy is us. We have to look at ourselves and say that there is something that I can do, that I can change, that I can be better, right? Like you shouldn't have to wait for your spouse to tell you all the time, but you should listen. Is that, is that better? Did I save myself on that one? Okay. So here's my challenge to you this week. It's the last week of the series. We've been talking about all these things. One, I do want to encourage you not to use these cliches. I don't think they're helpful. Instead, offer people true hope and true love. Offer people to actually pray with them. We don't do that much anymore. A lot of people don't. I was at a restaurant last week and a friend of mine had vertigo real bad and he was holding onto a chair and I was like, can I pray with you? Um, and I meant like we were gonna pray. He's like, yeah, and he kneels down at the table. I'm like, okay, here we go, in the middle of a restaurant. I was like, okay. So we prayed right there. You know, if we could get away from these sayings, but we could at the same time still offer hope and love to people, if we could actually put our actions where our mouths are, if we could actually remember that when we feel these things, right, when there's a group of people that we look at and we have some kind of reaction, you've been programmed to think that way by other people, just try to be aware of that. The next time you have a strong reaction to something, I want you to ask yourself why. The next time you see the red-headed woman with freckles and large hands and tiny feet, and you're mad at her for no reason, take a step back. 
And of course, you get what I'm saying. Apply it to whoever you want to. Why do you have an issue with that person? Because if there's an issue, is it their problem or is it your problem? What do we think? It's their problem, right? They've done something wrong to wrong me. Instead, I would say it's your problem to fix. So this week, you're going to encounter somebody. You're going to encounter somebody that you're going to have a reaction to without even having a conversation. And a lot of you are going to have that reaction via a phone or a computer. Here's what I want you to do. First of all, erase whatever message you just typed. Second of all, ask yourself some hard questions. Why am I categorizing this person as this? Why am I calling them this? Why do I think they're like this? And maybe, just maybe, that story you're telling yourself or that your subconscious is telling you, maybe you can begin to change that story about them. As you think of that, as you think of ways to do that, to reprogram both our minds, our bodies, and spirit, let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for this beautifully warm day. We thank you for the people and the souls that are in this room. God, we struggle out of our own selfish ambition to truly help those around us, to bring true comfort and hope and love into their life. God, help us to see that sometimes the words we say are harmful. God, sometimes the things that we are dealing with, we're not even aware of them. God, help us to be more aware. Help us to be more open to new ideas, to new things. God, help us to stop categorizing people's... God, help us... Help us to stop creating the hoods in our life around us, the ones that are unhealthy, the ones that dehumanize, that demean. God, the ones that marginalize people. God, help us to love everyone. We thank you for that opportunity. Help us to see it and help us to be it. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.